the next night, I checked in with both the sisters. I gave them each a phone call. And the youngest of the two told me that she had been up all night crying. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, because I was thinking about you. I've always wanted a brother. And now I've got wonderful you as my brother. I'm so excited. And I said, I'm excited too. And she said, I feel like my soul is now complete. I didn't realize I had a hole in my soul until I met you last night. And now it's complete. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and you're about to meet Adrian, who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Adrian has lived around the country and in different parts of the world, only to find himself right back in the town where everything started for him. An avid mountain biker, he nearly lost it all when the Widowmaker tried to tear him down. Adrian fought through recovery, vowed to love his family like he never had before, and followed the advice of the voice in his ear, telling him to find his birth family. This is Adrian's journey. Adrian was born in 1969 in Northern California, Marin County. When he was two, their family adopted his younger sister. His family lived in San Francisco until he was four years old when his dad's job moved them to Denver, Colorado. In their family, there aren't really any other adoptees except Adrian and his sister. So my family was pretty unique, and when my I remember my parents telling me when I was in fifth grade, and this is a classic ongoing family debate because they will argue they were telling me much earlier, and, and it was in fifth grade when the quarter actually went through the machine and, and it clicked. <laughs> right. uh, and, and when I found out, like the next day, I went to school and I told anybody who would listened to me that I was adopted because I thought that was really cool, even though as a fifth grader or thereabouts, Obviously, I didn't have my head fully around what all that meant, but I knew it made me different and kind of unique, and I liked that. Uh, I don't know if my, my adopted sister felt nearly the same way, but for me, I'm like, this is something that's going to define me, and I'm going to wear it and see how it goes. So growing up, that's sort of how I took it. My my adoptive family, it, it wasn't a big deal. My, my parents and would often sit down at family dinners with me and my sister and talk about the fact we're adopted. And if we ever wanted to search, they would support us, but we're their children and they are our parents and they love us to death. And we are, we're angels that were brought to them and, and they're so fortunate to have us in their lives. So overall, it was uh, a very positive experience from a, an adoptee perspective, at least from my perspective. Understanding what adoption meant became an awakening for Adrian, but he admitted that his family didn't harp on their adoption, and he and his sister didn't really explore it until they were much older. But when they were older, a funny thing would happen with the siblings from time to time. I'll tell you, and this sounds strange to say, I suppose, but whereas I'm taller and darker haired, and you know, my sister is shorter and fairer, and one of the weirdest things that would happen is we'd go out to restaurants in our teenage years, and you know, we were in college and coming back home for summer or whatever, and waiters would say, oh... What would your girlfriend like to drink? And I was like, no, that is awful. Oh. <laughs> it's just so strange. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't know funny. if other folks that are, uh, 
yeah, like it, it and weird and uncomfortable and like you know we just laugh it off. But it it wasn't happen all the time. But it was just one of those times in your life. I go, this is just strange. I wonder if biological siblings have to deal with this sort of thing. When I asked Adrian about the dynamics in his family, he described parents who raised the children in a fairly proper household, like the ones they had grown up in. His mother, of English descent, took to equestrian activities when the kids were young and Adrian's sister joined their mother, going around to competitions together. Adrian gravitated to his dad's side of the family, Northern Californians with a history dating back to the westward expansion and the wagon trains that traversed the country. His adoptive paternal side were really into skiing, which Adrian loves too, and he has transferred that love of skiing to his own children. I was kind of curious to know what kind of kid Adrian was growing up. He said he wasn't a jock, but he was athletic. He wasn't super smart, but he was intelligent enough. He wasn't a troublemaker, but a bit of a rule follower and kind of a people pleaser. I was very quiet, very shy, quiet kid. I didn't come out of my shell and blossom well in my deep in my high school years. So I was you know, pretty quiet, you know. The kid who wasn't first picked for the dodgeball team, but not the last, you know, wasn't getting the gold stars on all the homework, but certainly wasn't getting Fs or whatever. But, 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 but the adopted thing gave me an identity. And I think in like those late elementary school years when you're going into middle school, it's tough. Like, what is my identity? Not that I walked around with a big adopted badge on my sweatshirt or something like that, but it just helped me anchor a little bit in a strange, strange way. And I want to go back to something I was just saying earlier in terms of I felt, you know, I said I was a people pleaser and pretty quiet. I think rooted in my psyche, as we adoptees have since learned, is the trauma of separation at birth and the fear of abandonment. And so I felt, uh, maybe I'm just hardwired this way, but I think it was further compounded by something deep in the recesses of my brain that I just wanted to fit in and, and be. Uh, and so that was real important to me. So it wasn't shortly, probably in my middle school years, did I begin to say, I have another mother, a natural mother, a birth mother, somewhere out there. And I have no idea what she's like. I don't know what she looks like. I don't know why she would want to give me up. I'm told it was out of love and she had her reasons. What Adrian did know from his adoption papers was that his natural parents were engaged to be married, but she became pregnant before their marriage, and as a member of the Catholic Church, it was unacceptable to have a child out of wedlock. Adrian bought into the story that he was conceived in love. His adoption papers also suggested he's half Italian and half Norwegian, and he grew up feeling like he looked Italian. Today, DNA testing has told him otherwise. He said he's a little taller than his parents. Adrian talked about what happened one time when he and his dad were out and about together. I don't know about you, Damon, but for me, another thing that would trip me out and still does, this happened kind of recently when my dad was out visiting and I introduced him to a friend of mine and he, he doesn't know my adoption story at all. He said, oh, you look so much like your dad. And my dad and I sort of glanced at each other and laughed like, well... Okay, I guess some people see that, but yeah. I don't think the family, uh, the family, the portrait would show that we there's a strong resemblance between any of the four. Yeah, of us. I I've often said that I've had that happen too, and for me, to my mind, it's even more stark because as an African American man, I am 
I always say my mom was light, I'm brown, and my dad was dark. So we looked like family if we stood together, right? But if you put me next Got to it. my dad, okay. I don't feel like I looked like him at all. And my sense is, as it probably was for you, people can sense your connection and your similar energy kind of thing. And, you know, because you pick yeah. up mannerisms and things like that, like you might learn your laugh or you might do certain things with your hands that you've admired that uh, from your dad when he was your hero when you was young, when you were young, and therefore some of that might carry through. And my dad and I had similar sort of gregarious personalities as well. So I suspect people detect some of those pieces and they apply yeah. the looks to that thing that they see that they feel between you they say you guys look alike is that's my guess yeah some learned mannerisms and responses yeah i think you're spot on on that team i know i've I picked that up from my parents that's for sure growing up adrian had adventures all over the place they lived in denver he graduated high school in massachusetts went to college and grad school in los angeles and lived abroad in Belgium and Hong Kong before landing back in the San Francisco Bay Area in the early 1990s. That's where he reconnected with his now wife, a woman he had met before in college in L.A. They got married, got a dog, then had children. The house got pretty small, so they scoured the real estate market landing back in Marin County, right back where Adrian was born. You might not know this, but Marin County is the birthplace of mountain biking, a sport Adrian and I have in common. In August of 2016, Adrian's kids were older, his wife was out of town, and he had arranged a ride with some of his friends on a beautiful Saturday. It was a routine ride they had done before, where the terrain starts off just going straight up the mountain, with the payoff being a speedy, exciting descent that rewards riders for their hard work on the ascent. And so we were going up a pretty steep pitch when I lost all the strength in my legs, like vanished in a snap of a finger, gone. And I thought, what on earth is happening? And my friends, friends wrote, out, wrote on ahead, and I labored to catch up with them. And when I did catch up with them, Damon, it was all I could do to get off my bike. The world was spinning in the most terrifying and awful, awful way. I mean, something was really wrong. And I stumbled off to the side and started to throw up and heave all the contents out of my stomach onto this little bush. And it was I was miserable and I'm thinking, God, I'm just a fat old man. I'm just out of shape. Pull it together, Adrian, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a dangerous narrative to have. Very dangerous narrative to have. I stood up and told my friends that I felt better and they wanted none of it. And they said, We gotta stop the ride now. Something's going on with you. And I said, No, 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 guys, like I feel better. Let's do this. Let's complete the ride and, and thank goodness, to a friend, to a man. They all said, absolutely not. We got to go down. And so on the way down, uh, I started to get a chest pain in the chest. Like I had a million needles inside my chest that pricked me every time I took a breath. And I had to get off my bike. And I lay spread eagled across the, the fire trail and pounded on my chest like King Kong or Tarzan, just right, left, right, left, using my fist to pound my chest, thinking that this was a burp or acid reflux I was going to get out of my system. Uh, needless to say, it didn't leave. And I rode a little bit further until I couldn't control my bike anymore. I ended up walking down the trail, and I continued to be sick here and there. And eventually, I lost the feeling in my in both ring and pinky fingers. They went totally numb. And at that point, I thought something's really wrong. 
and a friend uh, had his car at the bottom of the trail, and he threw me in the car and raced off to the hospital. And uh, I was told, once I walked into the hospital, I was told I was having a heart attack, and they went straight into emergency operation where they put a, a stent into my left anterior descending artery or the Widowmaker artery for those who know their cardiology. And it's known as the Widowmaker for good reason because my left anterior descending artery was 100% blocked when I got to the hospital. It, had, uh, it was blocked by pl arterial plaque that had burst or ruptured climbing up that uh, steep ascent. And that mortality rate is so high, I don't even want to say it, well into the high 90% range if you don't catch it on time. So Gee. after the stent procedure, they cleared out that artery. And I got to tell you, I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm one of the very lucky ones to be here and to have a second chance on life and to really revisit a whole lot of things, which I'm sure we're going to be exploring here momentarily. Uh, but it was uh, life-changing, to say the least. Uh, I mean, that's just an understatement. It almost feels trite to say, to be frank. Um, but it really, really uh, affected me deeply. And I refused to allow it to define my life uh, or who I am. I allowed it to help shape who I want to be and how I want to live going forward. Uh, and I have some tried and truisms that I've been following since that time. Wow. Oh, my God. First, yes, you are so lucky, and I'm so glad. I'm so, so glad. That's just terrifying. Oh, my God. I was trying to really imagine the feelings you were describing as you said it, and it was absolutely terrifying, and I didn't even live it. So I'm so, so, so glad that you had other guys there that were like, nah, dude, this is, we're done. Yeah. We're out of here. You, something's <laughs> definitely wrong. I mean, that is so, so, so critical, and I'm so yeah. glad they got you to care. Yeah, and I just, I'm very open with my story because I hope it drives awareness and people will start associating, associating nausea, lightheadedness, and these other symptoms I experienced as this could be troubling. So this isn't acid reflux or bad gas. This could actually be a heart attack in, in some form. But I'll tell you, Damon, when we were uh, in the hospital and I had just gone through triage, I had defibrillators on my chest, I had IV lines coming out of all my veins, I had things attached to the end of my fingers, and the nurses were running down the hospital, and I'm laying on the gurney in my mountain bike attire, uh, again, defibrillators on my chest, and I'm laying looking up and the white ceiling tiles are racing by overhead, and I had three really, really clear and distinct thoughts. The first one was, I didn't want my wife to fly home a widow refused to let that happen. I, that was not be fair to her, and I couldn't let that happen on that day. And I prayed, I said, please let me see my wife again. My next thought is, why did I run out of the house to go mountain biking, and I didn't tell my kids I loved them, right? So when I ran out that morning, I just said, bye, kids, be back in a couple hours. What I should have said is, bye, kids, I'll be back in a couple hours. I love you. And I vowed in that moment that if I were to survive, that would never happen again. And when I say goodbye to my family, I say, I love you. And then the third thought was predicated by those previous two thoughts. And it was like, it was a very, very driving, powerful thought. It said, this is not happening today. This is not going down. This is not your day to check out. You will walk out of this hospital on your own two feet and of your own volition. And that's what I did. Damn. That is, I'm practically speechless. That's so incredibly powerful. It's unbelievable. I mean, needless to say, the gravity of the situation would drive such thoughts. It must have been so incredibly sweet for your wife to hear that you thought of her first, that you wanted to make sure that you saw her again. I mean, she must have just 
God, I'm sure she would have cried anyway, but she must have just absolutely melted. And I, and I hear you 100 percent on the telling your kids you love them. I, I don't know what it is about adoptees and our kids, but I am a smotherer. Oh I yeah, get hugs and kisses and love <laughs> all the time for my son. Funny, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's cool. Yeah, uh, wow. keep, keep doing it. Uh, keep doing it. Keep it up. Yeah, it's good to know when you're in potentially your final breaths. Uh, and I'm not saying I flatlined, but it, I was starting to fade. That this is where my orientation was, and, and you have to fight too in those moments. But it was nice to know all the things that we worry about when it comes down to like what's really, really, really important. I talked about those truisms that I live by. These are the truisms. This is what's really important. We think it is. We know it is. We act that way, but but it really sharpened the focus for me oh, on man. what I need to be doing. I can totally imagine. That must have been so crazy. So, so, so what's crazier? Let's play out the, the crazy here. So I get wheeled into the um, ICU, and the nurses make sure I'm all hooked up to the machines and everything is looking good and stable, and they leave me alone to my thoughts. And the first thought, it wasn't even a thought, uh, and I don't know how anyone can fact check this, but I swear it is true. I heard a voice in my right ear. And I even looked over to my right shoulder a little bit to see if someone had whispered to me. And the voice said, find your birth parents. Wow. And in that moment, I knew not only had I been a heart attack, I'm a heart attack survivor and I have a whole new world that I've got to learn to live with. But in that moment, that's when I turned the corner and there was no going back. I thought to myself, yeah, you know what? I almost checked out of here. And maybe they wanted to know how I turned out. Maybe they're dying to hear how I'm doing. Do I, don't I owe it to them to at least give them that news? And the other thing is I needed to figure out my genetic health risks for my family. I mean, for my kids especially. Does heart disease run in the family? I have no idea. You know, you talk to a lot of adoptees. Like, when you go to the doctor's office, you'll get that question, does this run in the family? And the answer is not applicable. I don't know. I'm adopted. Yeah. So if this runs in the family, I got to figure that out for me and my children and their children. Adrian, very fortunately, survived the 100% blockage of the Widowmaker thanks to the forceful actions of caring friends, the rapid response of the hospital's clinical staff, and his own inner resolve to make sure he saw his wife and children again, refusing to meet death that day. Going back, remember that Adrian was born and has moved back to Marin his birthplace. He told me he started wondering more and more if he was among family there in the community. He coached youth recreational soccer. Could one of the kids he was coaching be a niece or nephew? When he was at back-to-school events for his kids, was one of the other parents one of his own siblings? Maybe one of his kids' teachers was one of his siblings. It was all building up within him before that life-changing heart attack survival moment. So, once that voice in his ear said he should find his birth parents, he kicked it into high gear. It's funny how once you decide to start looking in the crowd for your biological family, you can't turn those thoughts off. Adrian admitted he didn't know how to start his search, but he knew he wanted to talk things through with his adopted parents and his sister first. He didn't want to go down that path without bringing them along as soon as he was healthy and stable. We left off with Adrian on his back in recovery at the hospital. The next thing he says is going to trip you out a little bit. So I'm discharged from the hospital on October 10th, 
2016. Well, that's my birthday. And it happens to be at the very same hospital that I was born in 47 years earlier at the time. Wow. That tripped me up. I had that thought walking to the car in the parking lot. And I did walk out of the hospital. They asked me to use it if I wanted a wheelchair, and I declined. I said, I'm walking out of here. But I had that thought as I, as I walked out into the parking lot, just took a breath of fresh air. I'm like, holy cow, I'm just, this is my birthday, and I was born here on this very same day, 47 years earlier, and I've lived all over the place, but why would I? That's a strange signal I'm getting, really strange. And I'm into that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Not sure what it means yet, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> Think about it. Adrian's life started in that hospital. He was brought into the same facility again, nearly at the possible end of his life, and walked out of the hospital again on his birthday, in essence, reborn from near death. That is incredible. After he was discharged, Adrian began cardiac rehabilitation. Heart attack survivors are assisted in rebuilding their physical and emotional strength appropriate for their age and fitness level. At the beginning of his six weeks, Adrian was strolling gingerly on the treadmill, ending his rehabilitation, running strenuously on the treadmill, sweating profusely with his strength and confidence rebuilt. He reached his goal of not letting the heart attack define him or leave him living in fear. He said, He felt like there was a reason he lived, and he wanted to make sure to find his answers. When I asked him how he began his search, he forewarned me that it was another surreal coincidence. It was his very first time out socially after the heart attack. Adrian had become a bit of a homebody, not ready to talk about his heart attack, while he was in rehab back in November of that year. He was at a costume party. A couple approached Adrian, expressing their concern after hearing about his heart attack. He took a few moments to share the short version of his story. And the wife said to me, she asked, she goes, well, is it genetic? And I said, you know, I don't know, I'm adopted. She goes, well, where are you born? And I said, down the road at at Marin General Hospital. When's your birthday, she asked, almost pressing me. I said, "Uh, October 10th, 69. And that was the end of the conversation. You know how parties go, you get split up and other people come and go. Well, it turns out the next day she sends me an email and it has the California birth index, which lists all the babies born in a county. And in this email was a table of five children who were born in Marin County on October 10th, 1969. Four of the five kids had traditional sounding names like John Doe, Sally Doe, whatever. Um, but there was one listing for a child born to unwed parents. And I could see, and she explained in an email to me that the way California is, they, that their convention for doing unwed births is to put the last name of the biological mother and father in the place of where traditional names would go. And she points out, here are the two names of your biological parents. Presumably, presumably, these could be your biological parents. Wow. And she, the bottom of her email was, do you want to find out more? I said, absolutely. So two days later, I meet her in a parking lot. At this point, you know, my cardiac rehab is going along, and we go for a nice walk in the, the hills out here where I live, bring along the dog, and we have a great walk. And it turns out she's a DNA and family investigator with a degree in genealogy, and she helps adoptees find their biological families. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Like, <laughs> what? I just met her two days earlier. 
I was thinking I was going to literally Google how to find your biological parents. was sort of thinking what I would do when I was ready. And here she is thrust into my lap like, hey, here's someone who's really curious, and this is what she does. In fact, quite honestly, she has a black belt in it, as I will explain to you in a second. So we go for this walk, and she says, would you want my help? I said, absolutely. The woman's name was Christina. She probed Adrian a little more, asking what, if anything, he knew about his biological parents. He admitted he hadn't seen his adoption papers, but that his adopted parents told him his birth father was Italian, and his birth mother was Norwegian, and had brothers, and was Catholic. This genealogist, who had been a complete stranger only days before, was happy to hear that Adrian had that level of information. They finished their walk, and Christina told him about her work. When they got back to their cars, she pulled out one of her many Ancestry DNA kits. Adrian spat in the vial, and then the pair parted ways. Adrian driving home with his dog, Christina driving away with his DNA. Two days later, he's out walking his dog when he gets a text from Christina. She has something she wants to show him, and she invites him to her home. Seated at her large, sturdy, wooden kitchen table, she told Adrian about her search through all of the counties in the Bay Area for women of childbearing age in 1969, using his mother's unusual last name for clues. Most of the results were women in their 50s and therefore not of childbearing age at that time, or she found men with that last name. She did find two women who were in their mid-20s during the fall of 1969. But one, it turns out, had given birth in September 69, so she's out of the equation. That left one other woman. And she goes, can you guess where she lived in October 69? I said, how am I supposed to know? And she says, well, she lived in Marin, which is obviously our county where I live now. Mm. And I go, wow, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And then she said, um, can you guess which town? You know, now I'm thinking, okay, now she's playing games with me. Mm. And I said, how do I know? And it's the same town I moved my family to in 2000. Are you serious? Yeah. I moved two miles away from this woman when she lived here in 1960. Same hometown. I had no basis to know that there was any connection. My homing pigeon instincts kicked in, and here we are. That is crazy. Said, yeah. And she goes, I went on Ancestry, did some work, and I found out that she has like great-grandparents, I want to say, that came over from Norway. So that checks off the Norwegian bit that you knew about your biological mother. And I said, yeah. And she goes, I can also see she had two brothers. So didn't she say she had brothers? I I go, yeah. She goes, okay, well, okay, that checks. And then she says, I wanted to see where she went to a local high school. So if in 1969 she was 24 years old, I rolled her age. She's telling me this, right? I rolled her age down to when she would have been 18, which would have been 61, 62, to see if she went to any of the local public high schools in the area. And she checked off all the high schools and looked at all the uh, yearbooks because those are publicly available information. And she couldn't find this woman's name. And then she said, but then I remembered you said she was Catholic. And Damon, this is when I started to lose it. Because my daughter is, it was at the time, uh, two months in to her freshman year at the only Catholic high school in the area. And Christina says, I looked at that Catholic high school and this woman graduated in 1962. So my daughter was going to the same high school that my, presumably my biological mother went to, and my daughter's walking under the senior class photo of this woman daily for two and a half months. 
Are you serious? That's crazy. You're her what? The class photos on yep. your wall and your your daughter's walking past her yep. grandmother. Oh, that's crazy. Yep. Yeah, legitimate. Legitimate. <laughs> and then uh yeah, and then so then Christina says, hey, I want to show you a picture of this of this woman in in nineteen sixty two. This is or sorry, this would have been uh, sixty when she was a sophomore. She pulled up a sophomore picture from that yearbook. And that's when it blew my mind. I every visceral reaction in me fired um, from my gut up through my skin to my pores to the tears in my eyes. I was looking at myself in the mirror. What? This was the woman beyond any shadow of a doubt that gave birth to me. Even though at her age at the time was what fifteen or sixteen, I knew. I knew the eyes. I knew the crook and the smile. Like that's her. I didn't need DNA. That's her. We got her. Wow. And uh, yeah, I drove. <laughs> Drove home and, you know, with a lot of emotion, I drove home from Christina's house. And I don't believe it. Like, I know that's her. And somehow I moved to the same town that she carried me when she was pregnant. And she went to the same high school that somehow randomly we have sent you know, our daughter to. Like, what are, is the universe doing right now? <laughs> this is crazy. That's just incredible, dude. That's unreal. I mean, to yeah. think... Wow. One, you survived this massive heart attack that really could have gone the other way. You walk out of the same hospital you were born in on your birthday that year. A couple of days later, you've gotten, so you meet this woman and she turns out to be a black belt genealogist who finds your birth mother went to the same high school that your daughter is attending right now, and she lived in town. I mean, that's yep. just bananas. Oh, my crazy. God. That crazy. is crazy. Crazy. Damn. I mean, you hear about, I mean, I have heard some adoptee stories where they grew up close to where they were born. Yeah. And you see that overlap, but, I mean, uh, we skipped out of the Bay Area when I was four years old and mm-hmm. kept moving progressively east until I went to college in L.A. Yeah. You know, and so there was no, like, just, there was no document, there was nothing to suggest that this is where my biological, at least the maternal side of my biological family came from. Yet here I was, following in her footsteps, which is crazy. Christina has found Adrian's birth mother, who, at the time, lived right there in town where he lives today. But locating someone is only part of the journey. Making contact is the next big action to take. There was something else, though, that had to come first, sharing his incredible news with his adopted parents and sister. He said his parents took it well, while they were obviously shocked. Adrian's sister was super supportive, too. He asked his mom if there was any other identifying information she might have about his biological father because he wanted to feed Christina as much valuable information as possible. Adrian's mother recalled that his birth father had been a title officer, someone who supports real estate acquisitions. He immediately called Christina with that information. She hung up and jumped back on the case. She found a guy with that profession in his background. He had also gone to high school in the Marin County area. She sent me a picture of a senior year photo. Uh, She texted it over to me and uh, again, I knew. That's him. That's me. (laughs) There's my jaw, there's my nose, there's my hair. That's him. We got him. Wow. And so he, we found his, I see we, she found his picture maybe about three weeks after we found my biological mother's picture 
and DNA still hadn't come in. And so we, we needed to, the DNA to come in from Ancestry, which it did about a week before Christmas, mid-December, I would say, 2016, where we were able to map with a no doubt whatsoever that I have DNA into those families. So we knew. Yeah. We knew right away. And we also found out that I have two paternal sisters and one maternal sister. And I was so excited. I said, I, nothing is stopping me now. I have sisters. I am so excited to meet them. I will, I will. Whatever happens with the biological parents is one thing, but I'm going to meet those sisters, and I'm, I know I'm going to love getting to know them. So I decided all along that the, the course of action for me would be to send letters to them both, at the at my biological parents, at the same time. I would put them both in FedEx at the same time and surrender myself to fate. Uh, and for some strange reason, I'll, I'll give credit to the band Oasis. I was really struggling with how to write that letter. Like, what's the playbook for writing a letter to someone you never met who gave you up who may never want to hear from you again or may be dying to hear from you or in every every part of the spectrum in between and uh i was listening to champagne supernova to oasis and it hit me how i wanted to write the letters and i opened up my laptop and sat there and let my fingers become the vessels to my soul if you will and they, i wrote a three-page letter adrian introduced himself talked about his children the great life he had led to that point, and the fact that he was searching because he wanted genetic information following the near-death experience with his heart attack. He also shared that he's a man with a big heart and he'd love to share it with them if they were open to it. Adrian included his contact information, phone number, and email address in his note. He sent the letters through two-day FedEx, refreshing their webpage frequently for delivery confirmation, hoping to learn in real time when someone had received his missives. When he saw his birth mother's letter was delivered first, then his birth father's was delivered a few hours later that Tuesday, he reconciled himself to accepting any possible response from either of them. That weekend, Adrian was with his family at their ski getaway near Lake Tahoe. Everyone is sitting by the fireplace, sharing some bonding time when Adrian took an electronics break to check his phone real fast. My phone was downloading nine emails, one out of nine, two out of nine, three out of nine, so forth. And finally, email nine out of nine hit, and it was from my biological mother. The subject line was, thank you. Wow. I'm shaking. I'm jumping out of my chair. I screamed, contact! <laughs> <laughs> and my wife is startled like why why and i said ah, it's her it's her and we all scrambled to like look over the phone that we could all read it and it was amen it was so powerful just getting that letter an email i hadn't even read it but it started with thank you i knew it had to be good yeah and, I, and it was amazing because she she said in, in effect i've been waiting for 47 years to hear from you I never changed my last name in the hopes that you would come find me. You deserve to know everything. I want you to know about your sister and her children. I want to hear all about your family. How soon can we talk? I mean, she'd been hoping to hear from me for 47 years. She'd never given up that hope that I would come back and find her, which is crazy. And she never changed her last name. She got married in the early 80s, and she hyphenated her last name, which was not a typical convention in those days, but she did it because she did not want her last name that she gave birth to me with, her maiden name, to be wiped from the records, mm -hmm. just in case I went one. Yeah, wow. God, that's unbelievable. That's so cool. And I remember that feeling, too, 
of that first contact email, especially with my biological father, because I my my mom found told me the wrong name. I found this wrong guy, and then DNA revealed that it was a totally different person. And so I emailed this dude, and there is no there's zero context for him. And I remember when I saw his name in my email box, there was definitely like an elation like I couldn't describe and a relief, oh you know? God. Man. Yeah, relief. Yep. Did you feel lighter? I felt so light. It was incredible. Yeah, because, you know, that, that you know, the, the FedEx refresh, the you know, you're holding your breath the whole yeah. time. You're holding your breath. You're breathing, but you're holding yep. your breath hoping that <laughs> – one, it gets there. Two, they'll accept it. Three, that they'll open it and read it. And four, like within seconds, they <laughs> after they you know receive it, they will be in touch with you. Like you're really holding your breath the entire time, and it's in the back of your mind, and it consumes you a little bit to know that a piece of you is out there. You know, it's almost like a hand has reached out into the distance, and you're hoping somebody on the other end is about to touch it, right? And when they do. It's this huge right. relief of, oh my God, you are out there, right? I mean, it's it's really, yeah. it's in, it's almost indescribable. It's really great. I like I like the way you say that. You are out there. That's really powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you've really written, I, I know, and I was thinking about what you said about writing down sort of who you are about your family, you know, expressing yourself in this letter. You know, in many ways, we have many friends that we talk to on a regular basis, but you don't openly emote with them in one three-page letter like that. Like, you literally almost dump your heart into this thing because, in fact, you want someone to feel a connection to you so that they want to reach out. And so that – it's one, it's an emotional process to sit there and craft every single word as you would like for it to be read and received – and and to put it into a full three-page thing and then feel like it's finally complete, there's an emotional heaviness to the creation of the document itself, let alone what it represents in terms of what I hope you will return to me in being back in contact. Like, it's incredibly heavy to write those letters. Yeah, it really is. And there's no playbook, right? Like, there's no dummy's guide for writing letters to your biological parent. I mean, <laughs> right. it is from your heart and soul, yeah, right? That's right. I mean, like, what, how do I put myself on paper and explain this and why I'm searching and what I'm looking for? Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I, I presume most people who send letters are hoping for positive contact back. So you, like, am I phrasing this the right way? How will this be received, even if they never want to hear from me or if they're dying to hear from me or somewhere in between? Like, how, how is this all going to be read? And, yeah. So yeah, oh, I get it. Oh, and I can really relate. Adrian emailed back that same night, and he and his mother exchanged messages, agreeing to talk by phone the next morning. When he dialed the phone number his birth mother had given him, the phone rang a few times, unanswered, so Adrian started to wonder to himself, I hope she doesn't have cold feet about talking to me. His mind raced a little bit as to whether he should leave a message. Would her husband know who this man's voice was and why he was calling? Uh, and then she answered the phone. And she said, hello, Adrian. Hello. And I mean, hearing that voice for the first time, this woman, this being that created you, there she is. She's not just there as we're talking about the letters, but she's talking to me. And I hear her voice. And it was like velvet in the ear. It was fascinating. And I, 
got to tell you, it was the most emotional two-hour conversation I might have ever had. We went all over the place. And, you know, she asked a lot about my upbringing and my parents and what I was interested in. And I learned, you know, how I came to be, that, that she was, yes, um, engaged and that um, she became pregnant and, and then realized that the marriage to my biological father was not right for her. And as she was a first-year elementary school teacher, she didn't think she could raise me in the late 60s in a manner that she thought was right for me. So she did what she thought was best and was told was best, was to put me up for adoption. Um, so I thought at that point, I may never hear from my biological father because if she terminated the engagement and then gave away the child, this is probably a dark chapter for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then back to my conversation with her, I mean, it was absolutely just beautiful to hear her voice and for her to be so interested in me. I, I was humbled by it. And we agreed we'd meet two days later over in Berkeley in the, in the East Bay. And I tried to wrap up a pretty intense, heavy conversation with, with something lighthearted, half-jokingly said, well, I can't wait to see you again. And she said, I've never seen you. I said, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, well, in those days, we were sedated when we were unwed mothers giving birth for adoption. And so I was out when you were born. And when I came to, my mother, your grandmother, told me that she got to hold you after you were born for a minute. And she told me you had the face of an angel. I mean, that's all that my biological mother was holding on to. That was a son with the face of an angel. That's all she had hold on to for 47 years. Wow. So crazy. And we wrapped up the call. No, so I wrapped up the call. And, and yeah, and, and then she said, sorry. And then she said, um, can I hug you when I see you? And I said, that's the first order of business. We're going to have a really, really long overdue hug. <laughs> and that's what happened. I saw her two days later at the Claremont Hotel in Berkeley. And I saw her walking towards me in the hotel lobby. And I had a backpack with some childhood photos in it. And at this point, I did have my adoption papers, which I wanted to read with her. But when I saw her, we saw each other, and we made eye contact, we just smiled, and I dropped my backpack to the ground, and we hugged, and there are no words to describe it. I'm curious what your experiences was, have been with those sorts of hugs, that first initial contact and embrace. Yeah. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know who was around me. I had no idea who was looking at me. I didn't even know if my feet were on the ground. It was upside down and amazing. Um, yeah. And really, really powerful. We spent the next six hours sitting in the lobby of the hotel just talking. It's really wonderful. Oh, my God. Six hours. Wow. Dang, that's We had to make up for a lot of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 47. It's funny how you you feel like you want to both press fast forward and, like, get through, like, just catch up on everything all at once. Simultaneously, you feel like you want yeah. to slow it all down and soak it in and just just lap up every word. And I'll yeah. tell you, the first time I met my biological yeah. mother, I I did the same thing. Like I I dove on her in this embrace, and I just burst into tears right in her shoulder. And for a minute, like the building we were in just disappeared. We were, it was just the two of us like standing in this open black space, you know. And and when I when I when I opened my eyes, there she was, and my face was on this other person, and it was just yes. unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable! I they're exactly they're my eyes, they're my cheekbones. 
I was looking at, we were sitting there and I couldn't help but, I had an out-of-body moment where I was looking at myself, looking at her, going, I look like a little puppy dog. I'm just staring at her and taking at everything she's saying, every mannerism, every twitch, every blink of the eye, every curl of the lip with a smile. I was fascinated, absorbing in all this intake, like, this is me. Yeah. yeah. That woman, me. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> it's really surreal. So powerful. Yeah. 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 So six hours later, yeah, you guys have met. Yeah, you must have floated yeah. out of that place, man. Floated, floated, and to your point, the next like probably four to six weeks, she and I, she, she confessed to me that she had told her husband about my adoption before they got married because she got married much, but fourteen years after I was born, mm-hmm. but she had never told her daughter, so that you know, was something we'd have to deal with. And I told her, well, I, I'll play along, but know that she's my sister and I, I'm compelled to meet her. And she goes, you will, just give me time. I said, absolutely. I respect that. There's a lot of change for both of us. But for the next four to six weeks, we would meet each other almost illicitly in, in places around the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. We just wanted that time to be up. I didn't want to bring in my wife and kids yet. She wasn't ready to bring in her friends or husband yet. We just wanted that time to soak up together and just be us and establish a foundation. Yeah. Which, uh, which I'm really grateful that we were we were able to do it, and it and it went well. What do you mean? It was working through a lot of baggage, early days, and and she, you know, my biological mother loves to like dig into the emotional stuff, and so it took me a while to get comfortable doing that with her a bit and opening up on some of the true feelings that I had developed over four plus decades or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, really cool, really cool stuff. While their maternal reunion was unfolding, Adrian hadn't heard a thing from his biological father. Like he said. His birth mother had ended their engagement and placed their child for adoption, thinking she would not be able to care for Adrian the way she wanted to, alone, on her elementary school teacher's salary. It was his expectation that this guy would have been in great pain at that time in his life, and Adrian's emergence from that fog could bring it all back. Still, Adrian waited with hopes of making a connection because, don't forget, He's interested in learning about any and all health risks that may be looming over his family from his genetics. On his maternal side, he learned that heart disease was a deadly killer in her family. Several relatives impacted at early ages in life. So, you know, as an adoptee, and you think about adoptee rights, and adoptee access to medical information and privilege, would have liked to have known that 25 years ago. I don't know what younger me would have done with that information, but maybe I would have been more on top of some things. But mm-hmm. now I know. And I'm on top of it even more. And my kids know to, to be aware. Just yeah. on that point there about that medical knowledge, you know, it's not even necessarily about what you would have done with it. It's about you as a part of the medical team who is asking you about your heredity. So they know what to look for, right? They are the ones trained in yeah. the thing. Yeah. And if they're asking you a question, yeah. the, the gateway question to caring for you is, tell me about your heredity. And your blanket answer is, I don't know. You've basically given them, they, you can't give them a single clue to go on. No direction. You can't point in any direction and say, we should probably look over there for this, for whatever you might, you know, try to help and treat me with. Yeah. You can't point them in any single direction. Yeah. And it's summarily unfair. No. And and I think that that's a Completely. massive thing that needs to be um, well documented in every adoption going forward, right? Is that you've got to write down everything that the biologicals know about themselves and their family. Adrian's birth father had the letter in his possession for about six weeks. Adrian was unsure what to do. 
He definitely wasn't going to go show up on the man's doorstep. Maybe he should write another letter? The internet told Adrian that he had two paternal sisters. The oldest of the two had a website for her interior design business, and on that site was his paternal sister's email address. Adrian took that information back to Christina, his amazing adoption reunion investigator. They figured out through Facebook connections that Adrian's friend's cousin was the ex-boyfriend of the paternal sister. They were just a few degrees of separation apart from one another through social circles. Adrian's friend's cousin could make the connection to his own sister. So I ran into this friend at a show one night in town, and I said, Dude, I got to tell you a story. And I told him the whole story, and he said, and I showed him a picture of my sister. And I go, do you know her? And he goes, oh, my God, you, that's your sister? And I said, I go, she is the best. You will love her. Oh, my, you're kidding. That's your sister? Like, yes. He goes, how can I connect you guys? How can I play a role in this? And I said, you've already played enough of a role by telling me she's really open-minded. And he goes, use us, use me or my wife as reference. We really enjoy spending time with her. I wish she and you know, my cousin were still together, but she's a great woman. The next day, Adrian drafted a letter introducing himself to his sister. He described himself as an adoptee searching for his biological family. Adrian shared that he started his search looking for answers to health questions, but the search evolved into a quest for answers about how he came to be in this life and who his biological relatives are. He shared that he and his sister are closely related and that he had sent a letter to her father. Adrian didn't expose their sibling relationship quite yet. Of course, he name-dropped his friend as a character reference, so she didn't think he was some nut. And turns out, that sister called my friend's wife the next day, asked, like, who is this Adrian guy? What is going on? Tell me about him. And my friend hopefully spoke the truth and said good things. And well, he's upstanding, great in the community, whatever. Aren't you excited? He's your brother. And so the cat was out of the bag with, with my sister. Whoa. <laughs> and... So, so two days later, um, I got an email back from her where in, it, in the email, I got a full family email with everybody's email address copied on the email, like her dad, her mom, our other sister. We're so excited to hear we have a brother in our family. We confronted dad about this. He's told us everything. We can't wait to meet you. How soon can we meet you? We're so excited to have a brother. I thought, oh my gosh. Wow. And I called so Christina awesome. and I said, oh my gosh, can you believe this? This is incredible. And she goes, you better, I got this email at work. She goes, you better leave work because they want to meet you today. I said, today? She goes, oh yeah. That email is all about meeting you right now. And so I jammed out of work and wow. went home and, and put on a fresh shirt and uh, drove out to a restaurant to meet with my paternal side of the family. And they all showed up, all of them, and it was wonderful. Wow. Lots of hugs. Yeah, and just... Before you know it, I'm joking around with my sisters, and it's like we've been siblings for, I don't know, however many years. Like, it was something at ease, which was really wonderful. And we just got, we just clicked and got along so great. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, you know, after the next night, I checked in with both the sisters. I gave them each a phone call. And the youngest of the two told me that she had been up all night crying. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, because... I was thinking about you. I've always wanted a brother, and now I've got wonderful you as my brother. I'm so excited. And I said, I'm excited too. And she goes, I feel like my soul is now complete. I didn't realize I had a hole in my soul until I met you last night, and now it's complete. Wow. Yeah. That wow. blew my mind. The more I thought about it, 
with time and not a lot of time, I realized that my soul was increasingly becoming complete too as I went through this whole process. Questions I never knew I had had been answered. Gaps in my being were filled. Holes in the soul were filled. I, it just, it all, so many good positive things started to happen. It was just remarkable. That's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. It's really crazy. And so now, you know, we're, what are we, getting to be three? Yeah, we're over three years into reunion across the board. And now transitioning, you know, the early honeymoon days where we're texting furiously and calling and trying to get together. Now things are normalizing and, you know, I get in, I get invited to birthday parties. I'm included in obituaries and stuff. It's really, you know, trying to find that integration, which is, which is tricky, but, mm-hmm. uh, Done, we're doing it with a lot of love and flexibility and, and uh, just so excited to have each other in each other's lives. Reunions happen fairly rapidly sometimes, and it's hard to keep the loved ones we already have in our lives up to date on the new people we're finding, meeting, connecting with, and learning how to love. I asked Adrian how he shared his reunion journey with his adopted family. It was happening so quickly. And my, you have to remember, my folks live across the country outside uh, Boston. And so it was, it was hard at first for my, certainly for my mother, because so much of this was happening out here, you know, in my proverbial backyard where I live, and she couldn't be a part of it. She was fearful um, that my kids wouldn't see her as their grandmother, which to me was patently absurd. But if I put my empathetic hat on and look from my mom's perspective, yeah, maybe that is a risk. All these people are out here, the new biological grandmother is 45 minutes drive away, you can come visit any time, like, yeah, but there's no replacement. That that was not ever my objective, and it was hard when my mom brought some of that up. Like, you must be, you must be kidding. I I don't even have my head around that. That's never. I'm a Jones, and I'm going to carry that Jones flag all the way to my grave. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't change. There's been you know my philosophy and how I've approached it. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I I wish I could have sat down with them before I met Christina, and we shot out of a cannon with with the search. I would have loved to have sat down with them face to face and said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, that wasn't what happened, and I had to tell him over the phone, which I didn't love either, and I regret those those two things. Um, and then, you know, they, they kind of told me quite candidly that do what you need to do for yourself. We support you. It's your life. Like, we're surprised it took you this long to go out and strike to find strike out to find your biological family, but you don't feel you have to tell us all the updates. Like, it's your life in many ways. Like, you're old enough. You're a mature adult. You're a dad. Like, Go, you know, handle and you know, if you really need us, let us know. So that that part was a little tricky navigating with the with my parents. Um, yeah. You know, because you, I don't know how your experience was, but your parents are there for, well, not my for the birth, but other major milestones <laughs> right. like moving out of diapers and moving out of elementary school yeah. and whatever, yeah. being a starter on some sports team and graduating high school and whatever college and getting married and birth of your first child. But when you strike out to go tackle this really big personal issue of finding your biological truth, they were sort of there. And it that was hard for me. That was hard. And, and I know, I'm sure it was hard for them too. And I don't know what the, the silver bullet is here, but it was tricky, and, and I and I don't. And I still to this day don't really bring much up. If they ask, I'm elated, and I'm more than happy to put all everything on the table and what's going on, but I, I don't proactively bring anything up. Adrian and I chatted quite a bit about parallels in our journeys and some of the stark coincidences that happened for each of us. 
Part of that discussion was about how the universe kind of brings people together in amazing ways. Sometimes the universe sends us signals and messages that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around. Adrian tells a final story of that very thing. Well, okay, so <laughs> so here's something crazy, and I'll bet you half the people who hear this will roll their eyes and go, no way, and other people might get goosebumps and say, holy cow. So when I was starting my reunion with my biological mother and I met my sister on that side, they had both very recently seen uh, a psychic medium in San Francisco. And they were telling me about him and their experiences and who he was able to bring through. And at the time, I was getting to know them well enough where I could give them grief about it and be like, yeah, these guys are snake oil sales. No, believe that or, you know, that is just whatever. I roll, I roll, I roll, you know. But they were really, like, they were, like, visibly moved after a session with him. Like, this is what came through. And they had to, like, totally talk it through and have a day or two to work it through their psyche or whatever. Who am I to judge? I've never done that before. If they want to do it, why don't I go with them? So I agreed I'd go with my, my, my birth mother. And I said, under one condition. I said, I'll go to this guy, but he cannot know who we are. He cannot know our relationship when we sit down. And she said, done, let's do it. So took a few months. This guy's very popular and took a few months to get in front of him. And we did. And we met in his apartment in, in the center of San Francisco. In it, and we sat in his living room. She and I were on a kind of a love seat sofa facing him, and he's sitting on a plush chair. And he's got a chair to his right, like another reading chair to his right. And he asked us to bring a couple things with us to this reading, um, something that meant a lot to us in a wedding ring if we had it. So we um, gave that, him our wedding, my wedding ring, she gave him hers. And she brought a shawl that her mother had given her, um, way back when, and I brought um, a rubbing, a, a worry stone that my adoptive paternal grandmother gave me. I was extraordinarily close with her, extraordinarily. And I, she just meant the world to me, and, and she gave it to me at my grandfather's death because he used it to when he worried, and I, what, it just meant a lot to me. Um, so I, I gave that to the, to the psychic. And I'm, you know, I'm there with my arms crossed over my chest going, okay, prove it to me. <laughs> And it's not long before, and my, my birth mother's husband had died about a, nine months earlier, ten months earlier, if my math is right. And he starts coming through the reading right away. Um, he's got the name Bill or William. Yes, it's, it was Bill. And, okay, he wants you to know he's in a better place. Great. And then, and he's, and, he, and the, the psychic is looking to his right in his chair. And his eyes are rolling back as he's looking at him, like, what is going on? I later find out that spirits in his house are required to sit and talk to him one by one in the chair. Otherwise, it's cacophony in his ear, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, I don't know what's going on, but he's, he's talking with Sharon about her ex-husband who's trying to communicate with her. And then he looks over to me, and he said, Bill wants to give you a hug and say thank you. Do you know what that means? And I knew exactly what it meant. I entered Sharon's life, my biological mother's life, when he was leaving it. Oh, he, was, wow. he had a prolonged illness, and, and I met him on his way down and out. And so I knew what that meant. And that was um, my first point of going, okay, maybe there's something to this. And through the course of an hour, 
he correctly identifies my parents' names. Um, the late best friend of my mother who died in the early 90s from breast cancer. Um, my, my grandmother I mentioned who gave me the, the worry stone, she came through and told me I had to stop stressing out so much because it was bad for my heart. Oh, my God. Why, why would know she put my heart? Uh, and uh, one of my friends, he knew my friend's name, who's not even on social media, and he's like, you guys are really good friends. You guys travel together. All that is true. We've done trips together. I was just like, well, how? I'm not sure if I'm believing, but I'm impressed. I'm listening now. Yeah, right. right. And he looked at Sharon. He looks at me, and he's like, somebody else is coming through for you. And then he says, the name is like Estelle or Stella or something. And my biological mother to my left blurts out, oh, it's a, is it Estelle? And he said, yeah, it's a lot, it's a name that's E-L-L-E, Estelle. I think it's Estelle. And she's like, that's probably mom. And he goes, okay, because she has a message for Adrian. And he looks at me and he goes, she's so glad that you two found each other. What does that mean? I'm thinking, what is happening? And I explained to him, I said, well, to be honest with you, this is my biological mother. We met just a couple of years ago. We literally just found each other and are reconnected now. And he continues. He goes, well, Estelle is sitting with Bill and others, and they're all clapping, and they're all so happy for you two to have found each other again. What? <laughs> oh my God. And then he continues. He goes, she wants you to know, talking to me, she wants you to know she's been on your shoulder guiding you through the whole process. Oh, that's what? fascinating. What? <laughs> so I, then it's like, was she the voice in my ear in the hospital? Exactly. Was that, was that her? I, I mean, I don't know. Was she making things happen with me and Christina and some other things. Like, I don't, I mean, I went into this whole thing in a prove it, pessimistic, give me a break kind of way to being floored. Like, what is coming through and how is this coming through? And I'm, to this day, to be honest with you, to this day, I'm still trying to get my mind around what just happened and is this real and how does this, all this stuff work? Because <laughs> this is the right. first time I've ever done anything like this, but he was nailing it. And if it's true, if it's true, what does that mean? And the power of connectivity and that synchronicity that we were talking about, like, is there a greater spirit? Is there a force of higher nature that makes some of this work? I don't know. And a lot smarter people who can debate that than I am. But yeah, I got to tell you, it was a huge, I don't know, it was a crazy, I don't know, it was a crazy experience. It doesn't even do it justice, but mind-blowing mind shifting experience to hear that and just even yeah. to consider whether or not you think it's true and believe it. But just what if that's out there? What if that really happened? Listen, let me tell you, I, I've had a similar, less, uh, I had a similar experience, but not nearly as heavily emotional as the one that you experienced. So to be brief, my stepmother, very spiritual, spiritual person, uh, had a guy over at her and my father's house when he was alive. And this guy is also sort of a spiritual medium. And he had, she had told him that I was adopted and that uh, I had begun a search for my biological mother. 
And he said, come here. Let me, uh, and he said to my stepmother, Hazel, do me a favor. Can you get me a map? He's touching my forearm, right? He says, give me, give me a map. And he's waving with his other hand that's not touching me. Like, come here, bring that, please. And he, th- she puts it down on the table. He, and he starts flipping through. And he gets to Maryland. And he points to Laurel. And he says, that's where you need to look. Right in there. And I was like, okay, that's so super not helpful. Like, this is not an, you know... Uh, what do I do? Go to Google Maps and go, does Damon's, you know, biological right. mother, like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that, right? Lo and freaking right. behold, right. when I found her, she was absolutely 100% living right there in Laurel. She could have been anywhere in the world, but he pointed right on the map to where she was. I was astonished yeah. when I thought back on that. So, wow. whew, Adrian, boy, oh, I tell you, the universe has got some tricks for us, man, and it's it's really unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's incredible, man. Thank you for sharing that. That is nuts. Yeah, it's unreal. Wow. Yeah. Right, but maybe there's something to it. Maybe, you know, there, maybe there's something there to it. I, you know, I walked out of that session or reading or whatever it's called going, what just happened? Yeah. I need to sit down and think about for it. Sure, but for sure. It happened to you in a similar way, like, okay, there's something going on. Yeah. And I've had other guests talk about spiritual things that have happened to them that they'll they'll blow you back a little bit. It's really kind of unreal. So. At any rate, Adrian, I really appreciate you taking time to call, man. This is a really incredible story. I should say again, and I'm sure so many people have said to you, I'm so glad that the heart attack didn't take you from us, man. This is, you bring a spirit, and I can feel sort of a a uh, humility and a gratitude for life and, uh, and an appreciation for your family and friends. Like, it just exudes from you from that, like, nearly catastrophic experience and i'm so 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 glad that the Widowmaker didn't didn't take you from us and and then obviously for you to go through this and find your biological family and have everybody be receptive and supportive um it's just amazing it's just an incredible story and i'm so thankful that you shared it with us all man appreciate it very much well damon thank you thank you for allowing me an opportunity to share my story i really appreciate the opportunity and to share with your listeners um, my story, and I hope that it helps and inspires them in whatever journey they're on. And, you know, someone asked me along the way, do you think the heart attack is the best thing that ever happened to you? It's one of. I think getting married and having kids will probably trump that, but shaped the life and opened a door for me to find my biological truth that maybe I would have denied myself. But now I've, I've found so much of my truth as a result of that. And to your point, I, I have survivor superpowers, and we all have them. Sometimes we just need to be startled to start using them, our own superpowers, to engage with life and with others and hopefully make a positive impact and, uh, and cause a ripple effect of goodness through, through the world. You know, as maybe idealistic as that sounds, I do believe it. So again, thank you, and thanks for sharing parts of your story too, and, and thanks for your interest. Of course, man. All the best to you. Have a great evening. I'll talk to you later, Adrian. Sounds good. Thanks, Damon. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Adrian has had a really full and rich life that has taken him across the country and to far-off parts of the world. So when he said that his search for a new home with his wife took them back to the town where he was born, I was amazed. Racing out of the house to go mountain biking with his friends, 
he nearly didn't make it home with the 100% blockage of the Widowmaker artery, nearly ending his life. He had quite a series of events thereafter, meeting Christina, who just happened to be a search and reunion pro, getting an email from his birth mother that allowed them to sit for six hours and talk, and finding his paternal sister, who was one degree of separation from himself, making it easy to meet and deeply connect with his whole paternal family. Then, his sister, confirming a feeling Adrian didn't realize he also had, the filling of a hole in his soul that he didn't know was there. Adrian is a very lucky man in so many ways. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Adrian's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really or follow on Twitter at really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And if you're interested, you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com, on Kindle, or as an audiobook on Audible. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list. It was tricky, and, and, I, and I don't. And I still to this day don't really bring much up. If they ask, I'm elated, and I'm more than happy to put all, everything on the table, what's going on, but I, I don't proactively bring anything up. Is that the same with you? Are you how are you guys with that? Yeah, it was... My situation was interesting in that my adopted mother had begun to suffer sort of dementia, paranoid schizophrenia, and so for all intents and purposes, I was losing her, the person that I knew and loved that reared me into adulthood was fading into the background and this other character who had the mask of dementia and paranoid schizophrenia on was, you know, front and center on stage. So I was lucky in that when I said to her, I'd like to, you know, try to find my biological mother um, she had always said she would support me and she very, I'm so thankful, found the presence of mind to send me all of the documentation that would lead me on that journey. And so that was incredibly lucky, but I, I raise all of that to say, I therefore wasn't necessarily in, she wasn't necessarily in the place to receive updates. Our, our relationship was challenged in so many other tremendous ways that were really, really aggravating and, and challenging to manage, um, that, that when we did talk, it wasn't about the search at all. Um, it was mostly about like, basically, what the hell is going on here? We were trying to figure out um, our own relationship and basically, in essence, what was going on with her. What was interesting also, though, was that in my story, I found my biological mother 
but for all intents and purposes, my adopted mother was quote-unquote gone. So the only person left was my adopted father. So in essence, I didn't find a quote replacement for him. I found a mother, not a father, and therefore not a competition for him. And then he sadly passed away, and so did my biological mother in rapid succession. And then DNA ended up linking me with my real biological father. My, my biological mother went to her grave thinking that my biological father was one person, and it turned out that she was oh wrong. And so DNA revealed who the right guy was. But everybody was gone by that time. My adopted mother was completely lost to her mental illness. My, bi my biological mother had passed on, and so had my adopted father. So the only person left was this new biological father, which was actually really interesting going back to the kids thing. You know, you said your mother expressed some concern about her being replaced as your children's grandmother. My son had lost my father, my adopted father, and they were very close. He lived around the corner. He would stop by all the time. Like I would drive home from work and his car would be in my driveway and I knew what he was there for. It was my son. And so it was really sad for my son to lose my dad, but then really, really interesting for him to have gotten some understanding of this whole adoption journey for me and then to have this other guy appear who's biologically my grandfather. It was really fascinating to watch how into it he was. So um, so my, my experience to be brief, which is probably too late, is my, my experience was very different from yours because the two parents' sets were not living at the same time. And, you know, but I was fortunate that my biological mother did get to meet my adopted father, but, um, but that was the extent of everything for me. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, dude. It is a crazy story, and it's funny. I, I You were referring to how just unbelievably amazing some of the coincidences are in your story and I was thinking to myself I can totally relate because my story has a whole lot but I'm, I'm not going to go into it because I want this to continue to be about you but I definitely have some of those nuanced like holy crap I can't believe that happened to both of us kind of thing so yeah it's it's weird when you get that understanding of how close you've been and how you've managed to find your way back to the same places geographically all that other stuff. It's unbelievable. It's like, it's synchronicity in a way. I mean, like, yeah. how does this happen? Yeah. Um, the universe pulls really you back happen? together. 